Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more. Take it away, fellas. Hello again. Good to have you with us for another edition of Shim Spider and so much more. Lots to get through today, including our special guest, ex-Socceroo Hayden Fox in the final segment. We'll run the rule over the weekend's A-League action and discuss whether FIFA's plan for a biennial World Cup is viable or even desirable. All in the company of my two regulars, Jelko Kalatz, and Craig Moore, good to see you, boys. Um, Spider, now, I know you left Zanti, um, but I presume you stay in touch with some of those uh, Aussie boys that are still there. They're into the promotion relegation playoff against Panatolikos. Uh, that's in the Greek second division, of course. Uh, Paul Lizzo, Matt Yerman, Josh Belante, Callan Elliott, all involved. Uh, that'd be great for those boys if they could get up. And they've been doing excellent. Uh, Izzo has been sensational for them. Um, keeps him in every match, makes big saves, and that's what good goalkeepers do. Matty German's been solid as a rock, and Joshi Brillante is, mate, like like always, works hard, does his job for the team to get the success. So, look, it's difficult. It's difficult for him because uh, second division side playing against a Super League team, very hard because the budget's a lot bigger, but they give themselves a good shout be great to see them in the uh, Greek Super League next year. Maury, um, a question to you. The Oli Roos have organised friendlies ahead of uh, Tokyo uh, against Ireland, Saudi Arabia, Romania, Mexico. Uh, the Matildas have got games as well against Denmark and Sweden. Uh, but there seems to be increasing doubt still as to whether the games will go ahead. Now, John Coates is quoted as saying they will proceed, even if Japan is in a state of emergency. Is this wise, do you think? I mean, I don't I Look... I kind of agree with John Coates. I think that the show will go on. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, obviously, you've got the safety measures and all these kind of things. Hubs have been tried and tested. And look, I think I think it'll be fine, Simon. In terms of the 
the preparation. Uh, it's good to see uh, Oli Ruse get some some valuable matches. Uh, although uh, the squad that they've put together, obviously heavily um, overseas based, with with potentially the ones in Australia that aren't required for final series. How many of them actually uh, will be part of the 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 elect that, that, that go to the Olympics? Time will tell. And for the girls, you know, also a couple of games, which is is vitally important. You you need that preparation. But to your question, I think the the show will go on. Does Daniel Larzani make make the trip to both of you? Yes, yes. For me, yes. But um, you know, we, we 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 never doubt the talent of Daniel Larzani. When you start hearing what we have heard for for, for several months now uh, about his attitude. Uh, then that that needs to be pulled into line very very quickly, because as good as what he is, uh, one player doesn't make a team. Spider, mate, that's pretty well said, Maury. Uh, sums up for me as well. He should go, uh, quality wise, but one one player doesn't make a team, and uh, Daniel Lozani really needs to wake up himself. Okay, thanks, boys. Let's get into it then in hard talk. Hard talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by StreamGate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagements as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business-level webcast, then please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Well, guys, let's uh, start at Amy Park in Melbourne. Uh, We dip our lids to Melbourne City. Premiers for the first time in their history, a 1-0 win over the Central Coast uh, Mariners. Uh, I think few would doubt, Spider, that uh, your old club has been the best team all season. Yeah, I'm... Thoroughly deserved. Uh, really happy for Melbourne City. Really happy for Paddy Kuznorbo and and all his staff and his players and for the club and the hard work and the supporters. Uh, they totally deserved it. Central Coast put up a really good fight, to be fair, and made them earn it. But uh, like the good side they are, Melbourne City, they come out on top, even though I will say that it was an absolute stone-cold, blatant penalty for Central Coast that wasn't given in the 96th minute, which is beyond me. <laughs> I think Ray Gatz, uh, who is a Central Coast Mariners fan, uh, journalist, of course, a former journalist, is now in retirement, would totally agree with you. Um, he was absolutely <laughs> ropeable about that decision. Maury, do you concur with that view? Yeah, no, nah, pretty pretty much so. And again, 96 minute, but um, hey, you've got you to congratulate Melbourne City. Um, They've been a club with promise uh, for so many years, but uh, this season um, they've managed to, uh, you know, to deliver the results and, and to win the minor premiership and to win it quite comfortable. So congratulations to them. But as Spider said, the Mariners, um, what a turnaround this season, put in a, uh, you know, wonderful performances. And when they, you know, started to maybe slip a little bit and teams were chasing them and City go above them, you thought they could capitulate. They haven't done that, so the Mariners also well played. 
Yeah, the finals would be a, a terrific reward for that uh, improved season. Uh, Paddy Kiznorba injured again in the celebrations, apparently. <laughs> he can't take a trick, can he, Paddy? I mean, he, he got the Premier's plate on crutches and then he gets uh, then he gets a whack in the celebration uh, on the field as well, Spider. <laughs> Mate, he, he needs to go back to the gym and do some calf presses. <laughs> Uh, anyway, congratulations to uh, City. Thoroughly deserved. They've been the best team on the field all season. Now they've got to go into the finals and prove that, of course, uh, which has been beyond them before. Um, Wellington Phoenix returning to New Zealand. That was extraordinary, those scenes. A crowd of over 24,000 uh, at the Cake Tin. A real shot in the arm for the A-League. Shows that the potential, Maury, is still there for this competition. Very much so. And, and again, uh, you know, I think a lot of people at times are, have been a little bit negative uh, in regards to New Zealand football and Wellington and what they offer. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it, it was amazing to see them back at home and the support that they had, um, you know, for this particular match. And um, they didn't disappoint either. Uh, and they performed really well. And uh, Western United, to be fair, weren't even, they weren't at the races. But I think that's down to the way that Wellington Phoenix, um, you know, applied themselves in the match. Uh, it's a very difficult place to go to, Simon. Uh, you know, Spider, you've experienced it. I've experienced it. It's not an easy place to go to. So, look, it was just wonderful to see. Um, returning back home, fantastic crowd. Um, they'd, they'd be wishing that they'd have all their remaining games at home, which unfortunately is not the case. But it's funny what marketing does. They actually, they actually marketed the game, Maury. Uh, and, and look at the crowd they got. So they put some effort in, and they got what they, they deserved. Big crowd. I understand that Wellington hasn't played at home for a long time. Market it properly, they will come. Yep, I think that's a fair point. <clears throat> um, on the pitch, of course, uh, as you say, Wellington Phoenix, uh, easy winners in the end, and a vital win for their finals hopes. Uh, comes at the end of a week in which Shufuk Tale has signed on for another two years at uh, the club, which is very important for them uh, as well. A word about Andrew Durante, um, who announced his retirement this week at the end of th at the age of 39. Incredible longevity across both the NSL uh, and the A League. Over 400 National League appearances, 24 caps for New Zealand, two titles that straddle uh, the two eras. A Joe Marston medalist. Um, a terrific career that uh, the Dura has had. Yep. Great athlete to play to 39. Great athlete, great warrior, desire to win. Uh, he's been fantastic for every club he's played for. And you know what the beauty about Dura is? I haven't heard a bad word about him. Yeah. So yep. it means he's a good person as well. Seems a, yeah, seems a real gentleman of the game, Spider. And, you know, to, to get to the age of 39, no matter what position you play uh, as a footballer, uh, your professionalism, um, you know, and as players get older, obviously do, do things a lot better than maybe what they, you know, did when they were younger because you can get away with things a little bit more. But uh, what a fabulous career um, to go for as long as what he, what he has done and the success that he has had. And you're right, a pure gentleman of the game. Um, just one more thing on the Phoenix before we move away. We, we spoke, uh, I think it was last week, about the celebrations that Toma Hemed indulged in after he, he scored a late goal. He went and wrapped himself in the Israeli flag and uh, put the kippah on his head and uh, you know made a gesture or two. The Phoenix subsequently banned national flags 
from home mm-hmm. matches for the rest of the season, which is only a couple of games. But uh, interested in your, in your view on that, because I remember you saying last week, well, you know, players are human beings. They have opinions. They're entitled to express themselves, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what's your take on the banning of, of those flags? Well, they didn't. Even, they obviously didn't listen to me, but they listened to Maury. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you called for the banning of flags, did you, Maury? Uh, no, like my 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 thing was, Floyd's, uh, and it probably where I differed a little bit was, see when it becomes uh, not not a protest as such, but when the display is on the field, you know, during a, yeah. during, a during a match. But uh, you know, banning banning national flags for me, uh, you know. I don't see any reason why they needed to do that. Uh, I've got no issue whatsoever with, with flags and banners and, and the likes mm. at football stadiums, the colour. Um, th- th- there's no issue with that for me at all. Didn't seem to be a problem when the Mexicans were uh, cheering on Ulysses Davila <laughs> in Wollongong. Anyway, <clears throat> let's move away from uh, Wellington, uh, but congratulations to them. Terrific scenes across the weekend. Uh, we had 17,000 at the SCG on Sunday for the Sydney Derby. Uh, Sydney FC getting their first win in over two and a half years. Uh, what did you make of the game and... What did you make of, of the venue? Why, why are we still playing at cricket ovals? It's, it's obviously an availability issue, but to me, it's just not ideal. Well, well bold warning. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> look, I mean, it's for me, I remember, I remember uh, you know, Muskie coming out years ago and playing on a cricket ground. Look, the, the surface is never, is never unbelievable. Um, there's obviously a reason why it, why it had to go there. Uh, again, moving forward, as in the future of football, we would love to see, I'm saying less of that, I'd love to not see that happen at all. Um, but I, I guess I'll go with the positive side as well. You know, it was a fantastic crowd uh, and it turned out to be uh, quite a decent match as well, Spider. Yeah, competitive, like, like a derby, like a derby should be. It was competitive. Look, Sydney deserved to win realistically and and they haven't had the rub of the green in the derbies wanderers uh had it over them lately so i think for sydney that'll be a, a monkey off monkey off the back to say to win a derby like that they deserve to win i think wonder oh, mate wanderers have got me baffled i swear to god they have got me baffled uh you know two weeks ago we were raving about them and we were saying they're going to make a late charge and the last two games they, they haven't been great. Like Perth, they were woeful. Um, and they weren't bad last night uh, against Sydney FC. Sydney was just better. They've got no if it wasn't for Margush, if it wasn't for Margush, the game probably finishes two or three, the good for Sydney FC. I, I just think that, like I said, the balance of that squad, you know, you see all their attacking talent, but then you, you see in other positions which... Um, you know, you, you go on good defences and being solid defensively uh, can win your championship, Spider. Um, yeah. As you know, I just think that they've got the balance of the squad wrong this season. Uh, they're, they're top heavy. And um, Western Sydney Wanderers for Carl Robinson, for Kenny Miller, their remit would have been finals um, if they don't make the finals, which, you know, is a, is a big possibility now. Um, it's an unsuccessful season. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the the goal that was disallowed, Spider, would be interesting to hear your thoughts on that. I, I felt it probably was a foul, uh, Ziggy Gordon. If he gets his back and comes across N- Ninkovic's line, it would have been okay. But because he was face on and he kind of had the shove, unfortunately, uh, it stopped the Western Sydney Wanderers. Wanderers well worked uh, goal for Bruce Camille. 
Yeah, I thought, I thought both disallowed goals. I thought Sydney FC's disallowed goal was definitely a foul. And to be to be fair, Ziggy Gordon, if he didn't go so directly for Ninkovic, he probably would have got away with the check. It was like he was uh, playing gridiron and he had to just knock him over. But yeah. it was it was it really was a well worked uh, set piece. Uh, pity pity that they didn't get the goal. But yeah, that that's football. You can't play gridiron. Um, as he rightly points out the Wanderers now with three games left they've got two home games coming up against Wellington and Brisbane uh, which are the two teams directly above them uh, before a trip to Adelaide on the final day I mean surely if they lose against Phoenix they're gone and and, and that puts a lot of pressure on Carl Robinson given the brief he was given at the start of the season Maury I think so again and Carl Robinson um He's professional enough to, to know that, um, you know, if they fall out of the top six this season, uh, it, it's um, it's not been a, a, a successful season. You know, he's failed. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that that doesn't mean that he's going to lose his job. Uh, Western Sydney Wanderers will, will, I'm sure, give him the, the opportunity uh, again to, uh, to to try and correct that. But, yeah, I mean, with the, with the squad, uh, with, I guess, the, the support, um, where that club should be, uh, top six is, is minimum. You know, top six is still you kind of at times can talk about mediocrity. They, they're, you know, top top three. Um, so not making a top six would be a huge disappointment and a very unsuccessful season, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, for, for, for me, for me, Maury, he'd be scratching his head. He, he really would be because there have been performances where you think, wow, how good are they? The, yep. Their biggest problem for me is they're inconsistent. Mm. They are really inconsistent. And it's so obvious that they go from being so good to absolutely woeful. And that's not a good football team. That is a bang average football team. Because if you want to win, you need to be consistent. If you want to win a championship, you need to be consistent. So everyone can play one good match. But in a season, you can't win a championship like that. Spider, we talked uh, before we started the recording um, about the responsibility of playing for a club like Wanderers. Mm. Uh, and, and you were making the point that you thought that you're not 100% sure whether some of the players understand how big the football club is. Did you catch 100%, on that? Son. 100%. Like, for me, in, in football, there are good players at every level. But there are players that can win a championship and can go on and win things. And there are players who just play for the sake of playing football. And they're good players as well, don't get me wrong. But they're never going to win anything because they don't have that quality. Western Sydney Wanderers is a big club. You need to have the character to actually be able to put on your shoulders the expectations of what that club is. And that is to win. And that's what I think not just Western Sydney Wanderers, I think Victory is another club like that. I think Sydney FC is another club like that. You have to have broad shoulders and be able to handle playing for a big club. That's how you become successful. And not everyone can do it, sadly. Even good players can't do it. Okay, uh, the Jets losing again to Brisbane, the fixture that always seems to produce an away win. Uh, 14 matches now without success for the Jets. And yes, we know they've had... Uh, a lot of problems off the field. Uh, three short of their own unwanted club record with three games 
of the regular season uh, still to go. Um, can you offer any crumbs of comfort, any words of hope uh, for the long-suffering Newcastle Jets supporters, Maury? That's difficult, uh, and uh, you know it's probably been more difficult for for those supporters. Um, you know that kind of run uh, obviously has you exactly where you are. Um, the only way that you can turn these things around is is by stability, uh, which is still uncertain for them, unfortunately. Uh, and, and you know, hard work, rolling your sleeves up, and, and kind of you know, just working your backside off to, to to turn the performances, turn that little bit of luck. Sometimes you need a little bit of luck, but you got. Is there enough hard. quality in that in that squad? No, there's not. There's there's not. So you know, that's that's the issue for uh, the, the Jets at the moment. I think they took the cheaper option in terms of uh, Deans. Um, again, on the back of a, a little mini kind of kind of kick that you get bounce if you want to call it that when you you're looking for a manager and the one that's doing the interim job looks to be doing okay but longer term as we've seen and and again it's not being disrespectful to to Craig uh Dean's it's just that you know Newcastle with the position they're in made the, the cheaper option their their decision hoping that, that that they would get through the season and and, and do okay and it doesn't work like that you know you got to you got to really have the, the belief and, and set the standards and, and players, they pick up on every little thing that, that is not going right at a football club, especially when you're struggling, Simon. So that needs to be corrected um, at Newcastle Jets because we've touched on it many, many times. It's a fantastic football club, great community, um, and I'm sure they'll get back to bigger and better things, but we'd like to see it happen a lot quicker. Uh, Maury, I, I want to ask you as well about uh, Brisbane because they got the yeah. uh, the chocolates. Three home games left out of their last four. They've got one extra to play than some of yeah. the others. Uh, they play City, uh, the Premiers, of course, on Tuesday. And then they've got Sydney and Inform Perth to come as well. Can can they make the six, Brisbane? Yeah, they, they can. <laughs> they can, but um, as you touch on there with those games, uh, it's a really tough run-in. Um, and it may well come down to, to the last day of the season, uh, that, that home game against Perth, which could be, could be massive for, for both those clubs in terms of a potential finals position. But look, I think Brisbane have done okay. Again, they're probably just, you know, inconsistent. Um, I wouldn't say that they're as bad as, um, you know, let's say, let's say the Wanderers in terms of unbelievable performance are then really, really poor. There's, there's not been a bigger... A gap as that. Dan Zaki, for me, a, a young 20-year-old, I think has been a sensation this season mm -hmm. for Brisbane. Always has done really well. So there, there's positives for Brisbane. They've still got a chance for the final, Simon, I believe. Um, Adelaide United uh, defeating Melbourne. Victory by the only goal. Another strike from Craig Goodwin. Gee, he's been uh, impressive since coming back. Uh, they go up to third. And uh, Spider, I want to ask you about uh, the Perth Glory MacArthur game, which ended all square. Um Perth really needed to win that one, didn't they? Even though they'd won uh, a whole batch of home games, they needed to keep that momentum going. They've got three away games now to finish off the season. They've only taken two points out of a possible 18 on the road since February. How big a blow was was not winning that game against uh, MacArthur on Sunday for you? No, it was a huge blow for, for Perth, but it wasn't from a lack of trying. Uh, they come up against the best goalkeeper in the league, Federici who kept MacArthur in the game. And that's what that's what he's done all year. Uh, he's kept MacArthur in the game. And then they've got Derbyshire up top that scores and goals. And I, I think MacArthur's having a fantastic season. 
I, I really do. And Perth will be disappointed they didn't win, Simon, because they had the chances. But what do you do when you come up against a goalkeeper like that? When he saves and, everything, that's it. And and Derbyshire, I mean, even his goal, his goal is just, it's it's brilliant forward play. You know, he gets across his centre half. He's he's done it all all season. You know, he's been a he's been a great signing for Macarthur. He's a real goal scorer. Um, he's he's a clever clever player who's played at a high level, and um, really really pleasing for him and and for Macarthur that that's translated to to the A League. Talking of uh, clever players, last one before we head to uh, the break. Uh, Diego Castro did manage to get one past Adam Federici. Um, says he's unsure of whether he's going to continue on with, with Perth Glory. That might have been the last time uh, the Glory fans will see him at uh, HBF Park. Just sum up for us if he is to go. And obviously, we hope he doesn't necessarily. But just sum up his, his impact for us, Maury and Spider. Uh, look, for me, a player like Diego Castro and what he has delivered for the A-League, when he decides it's time to go or enough is enough, uh, for me, that decision should be purely uh, with him. He's been, he's been unbelievable. Look, we know he's not the quickest, Simon, but he's, his technical ability, um, his creativity, the way that he plays the game, uh, you know, he, he, even at such a, a good age, in terms of a little bit, a little, little bit older, he, he really looks as if he enjoys his football. Uh, he's been an enormous signing for Perth. He's been a fantastic player for the A League, um, and if it if it is his last season, then obviously we'll wish him all the all the very best. But if he wants to go around again, I can't see anybody um, saying that 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 couldn't be possible because he still does the business week in week out. Spider, anything to add? Yeah, no, I think he's been a fantastic. Uh player for the A-League and for Perth Glory is just entertaining to watch. And they're the kind of players we want to see in the A-League. Um, my opinion is, he's 30, what is he, 37 now? A salary cap's a big issue. I, I, I would say it probably is the last game, unless someone else picks him up in a different role. But he's been fantastic attribution to the A-League. He most certainly has uh, 38 years of age and uh, a terrific contributor to the A-League. I think one of the best uh, of all time in the modern day uh, up there, along with Thomas Broich uh, and Besart Barisha and Milos Ninkovic. Of that, there is no question. Thanks, guys, for the moment. Let's head overseas. London Calling. London Calling. Go further with the Australian College of Physical Education. With more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Their bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, applied fitness, education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Okay, well, let's uh, kick off with the final day of the Premier League season. Um, not too many issues to be decided. Obviously, the three teams were already gone at the bottom. Manchester City were already champions at the top. So it was all about the Champions League, Maury. And Liverpool made it, finishing third with a final day win over Crystal Palace. Jeez, you've got to feel sorry for Leicester, though, missing out for the second season running on the Champions League in the final week of the campaign. They've been there all season. Uh, it, was a it was a crazy day, Simon. It really was. Obviously, Liverpool get their result. Um, Mane uh, scores the goals. 
eighth consecutive uh, game against against Palace in terms of scoring against them. Uh, incredible. So Liverpool done their job, but the real interesting part of the day was was between Leicester's game against Spurs and Chelsea uh, Villa game uh, because obviously Leicester Leicester were in for majority of the of the play today, uh, and then Tottenham ended up steamrolling them to to knock Leicester out of the Champions League positions for the second time uh, in two seasons. And Chelsea, even after defeat, although, Simon, you might be interested to hear, they did lose Mendy at halftime. Uh, Champions League final, Kepa come on Ooh. for the second half. Um, so he could, be, he could be out in Portugal. Potentially. I've not seen any news follow, following up for it, but he was, whether it was precaution uh, or whether there's a genuine issue there, Mendy come off at halftime. Um, so yeah, no, it was just look. It was really, really exciting today. You know, just the, you're right. Man City uh, were away and, and job done, but there were still some great scenes there with Aguero. Uh, some some emotional interviews from Pep Guardiola on Aguero. Uh, so it was a great day. Spider, your assessment of Sergio Aguero's uh, contribution at Manchester City and to the Premier League in general? I, I think he's been outstanding. I, I think the goal, Simon. I think you should actually. Speak about the goal that he scored when they won it. When it was when it was incredible. That that will wow. never be forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> That'll yes. never be forgotten. And and that's one moment. That's only one moment. Uh, but his whole time at Man City has been fantastic. He's a goal scoring machine. Look, injuries got the better of him a little bit the the last year, but fantastic player, great goal scorer. And he's oh, he come on today. Because sorry, Simon, he come on today for what thirty minutes. And, and he's unlucky not to score a hat-trick. Um, so it, it was incredible, you know. It really was the, 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 you know, what he's done at that football club. And, and actually, for me, seeing Pep Guardiola being so emotional after the game, speaking about mm. not only Aguero as a player, but as the human being, I, I just thought it was a wonderful, um, wonderful story. And he's not exactly going to a small club either. He's going to Barcelona uh, to go and play with his mate Leo Messi, unless uh, Messi, of course, leaves during the off-season, which is entirely possible. Um, what about Jurgen Klopp's comments? I'm sorry, but this uh, I'm going to bring my sort of Man City fandom in a little bit here. This irritated me, this comment. Jurgen Klopp saying, if Man City had had Liverpool's injuries, they wouldn't have won the title. Does he need to say that? They've had a great no. couple of years, Liverpool. Why, no. why poke the bear on that? Yeah, I, I don't think you needed to say that. I, I thought Liverpool finished the, the season off very well. Uh, they got the Champions League spot that they were looking for. Um, and maybe he should have been happy with that. And, you know, I always say, worry about your own club. Don't worry about what, what others are doing and what's happening elsewhere. So, yeah, I don't think you needed to say that. Um, Spurs, Maury, are probably worried that uh, Harry Kane leaves during the off-season. That might have been the last time we saw him in a, a Tottenham jersey in that uh, win against Leicester. Um, what will they do? I mean, are they going to try everything in their, in their power to keep him? Or do you think, reading between the lines, Daniel Levy and the management at Tottenham have sort of accepted that maybe it's time for him to go? I still think it's a little bit chicken and egg, you know. I mean, obviously, after the game today, he's, again, he's he's kind of by himself and uh, going about and, and applauding the, the supporters and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes you can read too much into that. Um, 
he's obviously going to have an opportunity, you know, whether it be the Man United or Man City that, that, that you know, will be looking for that striker. Um, you know, listen to some of the reports today, Simon, they're saying, you know, he's a lovely guy. So maybe Daniel Levy has the up, upper hand because uh, Harry Kane won't want to, you know, let, let him down. But I think he's been quite clear in terms of, you know, he feels that there's so much more he can do in his career. He can actually get better numbers uh, in terms of, you know, his goals and performances. He wants to win trophies. Uh, when Tottenham are going to announce their next and their next manager, is that potentially a carrot? I, I don't know. It still can go so many different ways, I think. And that's the thing. Yeah, go on. That's the thing. Sorry, Simon. Mate, he wants to win trophies. That's a winner. Mate, that's a Suarez. That's these kind of players that go to clubs that want to win something. That's what I was talking about earlier in the show. You can actually be a good player and just play football without winning anything, or you can actually push yourself to the limits and go to clubs where you can try to win. And he's probably at a stage now where he wants to do that. He, he's desperate to do that. Um, I think I read in one of the newspapers a couple of weeks ago that his former teammate, Kyle Walker, since leaving Spurs and going to Manchester City, has got 10 winner's medals in his trophy <laughs> cabinet. I mean, that that's the mm. difference, isn't it? I guess for a player mm. like Kane, he'll, he'll, he'll know Kyle Walker, maybe stay in touch with him, maybe he's good friends with him. And he'll be looking at his medal counts racking up and thinking, at some point, I, I've got to do something about it. And he is such a terrific player. Um, Roy Hodgson, congratulations to him, retired at the age of 73. I don't know if you saw his interview during the week that he did last week. He's still got a bit of spike in him as, uh, as Roy Hodgson. Um, a reporter asked him about a, a VAR decision or a penalty decision, and um, <laughs> he didn't half get fired up by that. Um, just on the Spurs manager, before we, uh, we head overseas to, to other uh, countries in Europe, Nuno Espirito Santo is going to leave Wolves or has left Wolves at the end of uh, this Premier League campaign. Is that an option for Spurs? He's done a pretty good job at uh, Molyneux, hasn't he? I thought he'd done a great job. Top job. Top job. Mm. Yeah. Um, be interesting. I mean, it, it, obviously, the, the players that have come into Wolves, um, a, lot of, a lot of the Portuguese influence. Mm. Uh, look, I mean, Spurs is a massive job. It's a massive job because uh, I think that probably Levy got it wrong in terms of the sacking of Pochettino. Um, they had a really, really good manager um, and, you know, probably gone backwards since then. It's important they get the right man because, you know, we're talking about potentially if you lose a Harry Kane, Simon, um, that nous, um in terms of the market and getting the right players to be able to take Tottenham forward um, and be, you know, top four again. This is a team that was Champions League a couple of seasons ago. Um, that's where they need to get back to. Nuno's a, he's an interesting candidate. He was certainly... He'll be in a, a short list, I would imagine. Yeah, I would have thought so too. Um, I think he's a terrific uh, manager who's done a great job with Wolves. Uh, let's move away from England for the moment. Uh, FIFA, just a, a general footballing question. Looking at staging the men's and women's World Cups every two years. And there was also a report last week, I don't know if you saw this, guys, that they were kept in the loop at every stage of the failed Super League revolution which I think was fascinating. Um, there's clearly some battle going on with UEFA for control of the sport, even at, at club level. Uh, but what, what's your take on a World Cup for men and women every two years? That's overkill, isn't it? That's ridiculous. It's actually ridiculous. So the, the play, you know, the, the one thing they're not even looking at is the athletes. They cannot handle all these matches. 
that's that's one thing. I mean, I, I know they want it every two years, and if they want it every two years, they'll ha- make it happen every two years because it's all about the money, what they're going to generate. But it's it's ridiculous, and you know what? People will lose interest in the World Cup. Couldn't have said it better. Uh, let's uh, head to Spain. Luis Suarez, we mentioned him a few minutes ago. Uh, champion yeah. with Atletico Madrid. If you're Barcelona looking at that, you're whacking yourself on the head, aren't you? Thinking, why do we let that guy go? And now they're signing Sergio Aguero, who's a similar age. He came yeah. out, didn't he? And Suarez is kind of, you know, if he was a lover of Atletico, you know, that, that Barcelona didn't feel that... Um, you know, that, that he could make that contribution. So it's obviously a really sweet uh, time and, 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 you know, season for, for Suarez. By the way, something incredible, I thought. Atletico have won the title 11 times. Ten of those times they've won it on the last day of the season. <laughs> Shows you the strength of Real Madrid and Barca, I guess. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Terrific uh, success for them. Congratulations to Atletico. Um, congratulations to Spider to Juventus, who managed to sneak into the Champions League in, in Italy on the final day. Is Andrea Pirlo's job safe? I would say yes now. It's funny, he was getting a lot of stick. He won two, two trophies this year and he's made the Champions League. Uh, Milan were fantastic. They had, a, they had a heck of a game today against Atalanta. It was a big one and they were actually dominant to cement their spot in second. And I feel I feel so sorry for Rene Gattuso because mate, Napoli had an unbelievable second half of the season. And and to draw today with Verona and to see Juve jump him on the last day, it'd make Rene absolutely sick. And and that's his last game for Napoli as well. So yeah, but I'm sure you'll get another great opportunity somewhere. Um Benzema, Simon. I think I seen you shoot through a note. Karim Benzema being um, out of the the, um, the French squad for six years has been called back in. But I tell you what, I've done a little bit of research. Isn't he an interesting character? <laughs> in terms of, of his history, I, I see. I seen a tweet. He was asked a question about about Giroud. Uh, somebody says Giroud, Giroud deserves to play ahead of you in the national team. Benzema's response: You don't confuse F1 with go karting. Oh, <laughs> wow! Yeah, I mean that's going that's going back a bit, but <laughs> I think we know that the the, the French squads can um, test each other at the best of times. Volatile, so, I think, is the word. Yeah, yeah, but wonderful player had a fantastic season. Um, but yeah. like I said, he's an interesting character. Out in the cold for nearly six years, but recalled by Didier Deschamps ahead of the Euros. Let's see which way that one goes. Um, Maury, to you for the final question. Uh, it's a sort of a, a double question, really. Uh, a couple of other events that happened in the UK at the weekend. A Scottish Cup final. Disappointment for Martin Boyle and Jackson Irvine as they yeah. lost to St. Johnson. Heck of an achievement for them to do the Cup double. Um, and a word for Jared Gillett as well, who ref yeah. the Brentford-Bournemouth game in the playoffs and the championship in England absolutely terrifically well. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, also, you know, you need to get things... Right, uh, obviously in the playoffs and all that because uh, the, the the pressure. Uh, but I really enjoyed, I, I, you know, watching the game. Uh, Brentford are a team that like, I think we touched on last week that I've followed. Um, and then nice to see, you know, Australian Jared Gillett um, refereeing that game, doing a good job. And, and we talk about players, we talk about coaches, talk about administrators. 
um, referees as well, you know, like Jared's come over and he's had to work extremely hard and to get to a stage where he's, you know, he's, he's officiating um, the main games of the season here in England. Um, he's done really, really well. So well done to Jared. He, he handled the game extremely well. Uh, and a word on the Scottish Cup final. Um, I presume you watched that one. Yeah, I did. I, I did. Like Hibs, uh, with their attacking threat um, and the players that they have, I almost, you know, you're talking about Martin Boyle and Jackson with the two Australian boys, but Doidge up front. Uh, they've got a good player in Nisbet, striker. Uh, look, on paper, Hibs were the better side, but uh, St. Johnston have shown that they're a fantastic cup side. Uh, Callum Davidson, uh, in his first season, um, has managed to to win the double, which is incredible. I don't think it's been done since 1989. Um, so disappointment for, for our Australian lads, but but Hibbs probably doing, didn't do enough in this game to um, to, to, to really go and test St Johnston or, or you know put him to the sword. Congratulations to St Johnston. Yep, the first team to do that uh, cup double outside of uh, the old firm Celtic and Rangers since Aberdeen. Uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, as you rightly say, Maury. All right, so thanks for the moment, guys. We're heading into our final segment of the show this week, and we've got another great guest waiting for us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Sydney in 1977. After starting his junior career with Blacktown City, he signed for the Dutch Giants Ajax in 1995. He then led a fascinating career playing for Arminia Bielefeld in Germany, Sanfrecce Hiroshima in Japan, West Ham, Portsmouth and Leeds in England, and Mechelen, briefly, on loan in Belgium. He returned to Australia in 2007 to play for Perth Glory and later won an A-League Championship medal with Sydney FC. He won 11 caps for Australia and since retirement has been coaching as assistant at Melbourne Heart, Western Sydney Wanderers and Perth Glory. He is, of course, Hayden Fox. How are you, Foxy? Very good. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having us on the show, mate. It's great to have you with us. Uh, let's start at the beginning, which is as good a place as any. Um, Blacktown City to Ajax seems quite a quantum leap. How on earth did, did all that come about? Well, that wasn't really... I went from Blacktown City as a junior and... I uh, went to the AIS for a couple of years before going to IAC. So um, the opportunity come for myself and Josip uh, Simonic, who you know, who's ended up being, having a great career for Croatia, but Australian born. Um, we got the opportunity to go and train with IAC. So it wasn't a trial, wasn't anything to do with trying to get us to move there. It was just going to get experience at a European football club. And at that time, you know, there was, there was no internet or no real knowledge about uh, Dutch football, to be honest, because everyone knew about the, the um, old first division in, in the UK and the Italian Serie A. We thought Ajax was the cleaning brand. Yeah, the, the old toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Ajax. That's it, Ajax. That's what we thought, you know, we thought they must be the sponsor and they've got a club. I don't know. Anyway, so we went there, we spent a month there, and then at the end of the month, they offered me an opportunity to stay there for a couple of years. So I took it, and um, uh, what, a, what a great experience it was as a, as a young boy from, from Australia to, to make his way into professional football. You know? 
So I was going to ask you, Ajax at the time, they just won the European Cup. They had players like Patrick Kluivert, Edwin van der Sar, Edgar Davids, Yari Littman and Mark Overmars, Danny Blint, uh, yeah. Winston Bogard, the two De Boer brothers, Louis van Gaal was the coach. Were they sort of on your radar? Obviously, you're a young kid then and you're sort of knocking around yeah. on the fringes, but yeah. it must have been a good, terrific environment to be a part of. It was, yeah, once I got there and once you, you get over that, first initial part of seeing what European football is really about. Mm. We really don't understand exactly what's involved and and how they train and, and, you know, what's, what's, um, you know, the benefits are if you, you work and you you train and you play to get to that top level. Um, You don't realize you got, you got a thousand millions of kids trying to get to where you are. Yep. Maury, do you want something, mate? Keep going, bud. I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, so um, you, you, you kind of don't realise exactly, you know, what environment you're going into to begin with um, until you get there and you realise, oh, because, you know, here in Australia, we, we have so many different outlets and uh, we're actually quite quite lucky and quite, um, what do I say, say, smothered in a way that you, you know, you never put under extreme pressures. But in Europe... Um, you know, I was only a 17-year-old boy. Um, and your expectations at training, let alone games, are scrutinised. Um, Foxy, and- Fox, at that stage, are you training? Um, are you having opportunities to, to train with the first team? Because that's a no, team that, that, I, no. that I knew very, very well. Yeah. Overmars gave me one of my biggest football lessons of my life. The, yeah. type, the team that you mentioned there, Simon, was a team that, I played against mate, and we we got absolutely belted up by him. Um, yeah. So just <laughs> at that stage, whether you were getting that opportunity, um, obviously you're seeing the, the the players on a week to week basis. But were you any involvement first team wise? No, not not with the first team, Maury. I was there with the um, with the, the they call the R which is the the youth team, the the, the top youth team. And I'd play in the, the cup games with the, the Twaita Elif, which Spider would know, which is the second team. Second and then team. Occasionally then, you know, we'd have some senior players from the first team, you know, not in favour, whatever it is, coming back yeah. from injury that would, uh, would play with us, wouldn't train with us, but would sometimes play with us. But that was, that's as, that's as high up as I got. Um, but what, what you learn there is that every training session is uh, is a must to be at your ultimate ultimate uh, performance, um, and anything less is is not good enough. That's that's the bottom line. It doesn't matter. I think where you are in Europe, and I think we've gone away from that a little bit. I'll be honest. We've gone away from that in Australian football that we don't train like we should play. You should train every single day and prepare how you should play. Um, We've gone away from that. So we're talking about, I know I'm going a little bit away here a little bit because there's a lot of, you know, discussion around what's right, what's right for the the youth and trying to develop youth. Um, But I believe that um, we kind of give away, we give away, or we accept mediocrity. Mm. Now, if you accept yeah. mediocrity, and we talk about now also about, you know, drumming in the technical side of the game about playing with the ball. There's so many aspects 
of the game that don't involve the ball at all, that do not involve. And we're saying our, our main uh, learning, learning habits are done between a certain age. Uh, I think it's from eight to 14 years of age. So we should you know, teach our, our young kids about technical. Yeah, okay, definitely about how to pass a ball, how to control a ball, uh, what type what of pass do you make? But as we know in football, there's so many other aspects and more just as important aspects than playing with the ball. Without the ball, can you run without the ball? Can you defend? Uh, can, you, can you still defend? And can you still be, you know, can you still be, uh, can you still be proactive in the 90th minute, 95th minute? Can you still have a mentality that you want to win? Um, not that winning is all the cost, but can you still have that proactive and still that mindset that you want to win? So if you don't instill that, that mentality in the kids, along with the technical aspects, the tactical aspects, 100%, how are you going to teach them when they're now 18, 19? They difficult. Have been Very difficult. They have not Very been difficult. to it. So we, we, as a generation, going back all them years ago, we had so many players playing the top level, right? And I speak still to players this, this day from uh, where I played in Europe, saying, poor, we used to look at Australia. Yeah, we know that uh, technically you weren't the greatest, um, you know, but we knew we were in for a fight. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We yeah. knew that we were in for a fight every single game. Now, you don't have that. We've, lo- we've lost that completely. See, see on that, Foxy... Yeah. The, the respect that we were given in Europe for that quality, yet in Australia, the disrespect we have for that quality is, in, is, is remarkable, isn't it? Because it's, 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 it's unrealistic because we've gone to become, we're trying to create robots now. Robots, this is the way, this is how Barcelona do it. This is how Real Madrid do it. This is our Manchester City. We are not Manchester City. We are not Real Madrid boys. We are not Barcelona. Mm-hmm. But what, what we have here, we've got some hunger, we've got some desire, we've got some desperation to, for us to enable to be able to compete, compete and maybe get a moment when your Harry Kills, your Mark Vadukas could create something and maybe you get something from the game. Yeah. Now, yep. we, we have not got that. And that's not the player's fault. That's now what has been drummed in and how, how we've... Uh, how we've now developed our players because we, we're accepting mediocrity. And I'm not saying you have to now belt the young players. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. But what they have to have, they have to have some realism and, and also have accountability and be taught what football is about. If you're going to play at that elite level, if you're playing community grassroots, no problem. But you tell any kids playing in the MPL or National Youth League or playing for these academies in the A-League, you ask them what they want to do, they're going to tell you, I want to be 
a professional footballer. Okay, that's where you want to be. Now, this is what is required to be a professional footballer from the age of 10, 11, 12, all the way up to you have a chance to make it. Foxy, yeah. I, d I don't want to um, detract from anything that you're saying about the future of Australian football, but yeah. um, we do want to talk a bit about your career as well, uh, which we did start upon before we went off on a bit of a tangent, <clears throat> which is perfectly fine. Um, I want to take you to your senior debut. Uh, you made it in Germany, strangely enough, for Arminia Bielefeld yeah. uh, as a substitute against Wolfsburg. 1997, you came on as a substitute for Sonny Siloy, yeah. who I think was a former teammate of yours at Ajax. He was, yeah. um, and I, I'm sorry to be facetious here, but the thing that stuck out to me, I looked at the team lineup and you, you had the best strike pairing in terms of surnames that I think I've ever seen. Stefan Kuntz <laughs> and Uwe oh. Fuchs. <laughs> Is there a better strike pairing than that ever? Lord bless him. Because, hey, <laughs> my brothers and all my mates from Winston Hills, they used to love when they got the photo and we sent it through to them of the team lot, yeah, the team photo that you have in the summer and the end of, end of July, beginning of August. And they seen this Stefan Kuntz, K-U-N-T-Z. <laughs> Let me tell you. And Uwe Fuchs, <laughs> F-U-C-H-S, as yeah. well. <laughs> and Uwe Fuchs. Oh, brilliant. Oh, man, uh, they would have had some fun times at the Winston Hill pub when, the, when those names come out. Uh, let me tell you, in the, in the UK, there used to be a show called Fantasy Football. I don't know if you ever saw it in your days in the UK, with Frank Skinner and, and David Baddiel. And they used to do this segment where they would isolate words of commentary and obviously change the meaning completely. So they did a, a little skit. Stefan Kuntz scored a goal at the European Championships in 1996. And they introduced the segment by saying, John Motson, who was the UK commentator, of course, uh, makes his feelings about the Germans very plain. And they just isolated him saying, Kuntz! <laughs> that was it, that was it. <laughs> anyway we digress um how did you end up at armenia bielefeld's uh i'll tell you what it happened by there was an agent called ton van dalen yes. oh, he moved me to um, holland yeah. Yeah. And, uh, maury would would remember him because i think he, he he kind of took a few dutch players to rangers maybe back in yeah. the maybe yeah yeah, um, he, he had an affiliation with um, uh, the late Eddie Thompson. Mm. Yes, so, yes. Um, and I'd played under Eddie in the uh, in the Olly Roos and the junior national setup. And Eddie kind of had recommended to him that um, you know have a look at this young Australian bloke. Maybe there's an opportunity to go to one of these clubs in Europe. He's just left Ajax and blah, blah, blah. And I was in Ajax at the time. So I met up with Tom Van Dalen and he had Sonny Suloy and Robbie Mars. Robbie Mars was an exit final play. He played in uh, Bielefeld. And he, I got a trial there for three or four weeks and I ended up being on the books there. You only mm. stayed there, I think, the one season. Then he went off yeah. to Japan. Uh, yeah. Sam Fretcher again, Eddie Thompson, yeah. Being the link, and Tony Popovich was there, and Ian Crook and Aurelio Vidmar. Steve Corica came a little bit later. Uh, how was your experience in Japan? Loved it. Yeah. yeah. Re really, really loved it. Look, it was 
you know, because I had a really bad year at Aminia Bielefeld, because I had a three-year deal and then obviously that finished after after one year. So it didn't didn't end very well, to be honest. Um, and I went to Japan and I just started enjoying my football game. You know, we had, you know, the ex-Australian national team coach. There was uh, Tom Samani there. Um, there was a physio there, which was Australian. So there was quite a Australian contingent. Then there was obviously Popper there, um, Rudio Vidmar, and another English guy, Don Goodmans. We had a great time. Um, and, you know, I, I, I learned a lot. That's what, that's what I tell you, as a footballer, I, I learned a lot from uh, Tony Popovich on how to prepare. Popper was ahead of his game, you know, just how he prepares his teams now. It's the same as he was as a player. Um, so I was very lucky at a young age playing senior first team football that I could play uh, play with Popper. Um, I, I learned, you know, a hell of a lot. It was funny because, you know, it's been a little bit naive, I suppose, when you're going into senior team professionalism. Um, I kind of, a, a player ran across me, across me and was going into Popper's path and I was watching the ball, was run across this way and I just heard a I looked across and there was a little Konnichiwa just on the floor. Uh, on the floor. And and Pop just went, that's how you stop them from running. <laughs> and he did plenty of times. Uh, um you know, one experience and one type of, you know, one one footballing moment that you, you learn, you know, you learn. Hmm. Um, not that he put his arm out and ripped, ripped his head off, but he just checked his run and he was smart and he knew how to now um, deviate the run that the, the striker was making, which doesn't happen now. People, let, defenders allow strikers to run wherever they want. That's, that's probably because of the cameras and VAR, to be fair, Foxy. But uh, um, <clears throat> let's move on and talk about your, your two years at West Ham. I think it's probably fair to say that you, you're probably best known um, around the world for your, for your stints in England with West Ham and Portsmouth yeah. and later on with Leeds. But your, your time under Harry Redknapp, again, I looked at the team sheets that you were a part of. I mean, Shaka Hislop, Nigel Winterburn, Stuart Pearce, Igor Stimach, uh, Rigobert Song, Michael Carrick, Frank Lampard, Joe Cole, Paolo Di Canio, Freddie Canuti. We're, we're not talking second-tier players here. We're, we're talking absolute top-of-their-game internationals. That must have been a fantastic experience and led by the great Harry Redknapp as well. Yeah. Yeah. Harry was gold. Harry was a really good man-manager, like excellent man-manager. He knew how to... He knew how to put players together in certain systems to play against opposition, like really well. He could manage a group. You weren't playing, you were playing. Uh, you know, he could, he could find a way to convince you to follow his way. So he was a great, great man manager and leader, um, you know, and had a real passion of wanting to try and play really good football. Absolutely. Um, so I was quite fortunate to play under Harry. Um, and the players that, uh, I played with at West Ham. Unfortunately, I didn't didn't play a lot because uh, after the first year, whatever reason, Harry Harry left and new manager come in and I didn't fit into his plans. Um, so I had to move on. But you know, great experience. 
Um, and you don't really know, you watch English football uh, on the TV um, <clears throat> and it always makes it look a little bit slower and easier. It's not until you actually step in there and you realise how quick the game is and how, how smart English footballers are. Um, so it was a, it was a, it was a real, real quick learning curve I had, to, I had to make and step up to to be able to um, make an impact. Uh, in the UK. When, when you were at West Ham, uh, Foxy, obviously Frank Lampard, Joe Cole uh, in particular, Michael Carrick as well you could throw in there. Yeah. They were young up-and-coming uh, English players. Mm. Could you sense even at that moment that they were going to you know, go on to become the players that they did? Yeah, and they were three different players. Absolutely. Um, so Joe Cole was this really bright, kind of like Gazza-like type of player, you know, could turn quick, put a quick part, you know, put a uh, dissect a defence. He could shoot. He could pop up the end of the end of the box, create opportunities. Michael Michael Carrick was a very calm, two-footed player, ex like top player. I reckon Michael Carrick would have done really well. Look, he yeah, ended up having a top career. He went to Tottenham and Man U, but would have had a top career in La Liga and Italy. Because he was just calm, he could play up from the back, he could read the game and read the situation. Now Frank Lampard, Frank Lampard was already in the England under twenty one side. Uh, he hadn't made a uh, senior senior uh, international appearance, but he was already a very very good and established Premier League player. But this this guy, after. Um, every Tuesday and Thursday training session would put his spikes on and he would sprint because he wanted to get quicker and quicker and be able to repeat his sprints. So he was already a top, top Premier League player. But he wanted to become the one of the best midfielders of the Premier League. And ultimately, he ended up dead. So a lot of players, where the position he was in, would have been happy and quite content with where he's at, but he wanted to keep driving and wanted to, wanted to be better. And Frank took a lot of stick from the punters because it was his old man that was the assistant manager and his uncle was the actual manager. But we as players knew the quality and what, what he could do and what he could provide. Um, and it was no surprise to me to see that he went on to be one of the all-time English greats of the game. Have you got a? You, you then went on to follow Harry Redknapp to Portsmouth, or he took you with him when he went to Portsmouth, yeah. um, and you had some, uh, well, at least one great season there because you got promotion uh, yeah. with a certain Carl Robinson as a teammate. I, I notice, and and Eddie Howe, and Paul Merson, and one or two others. Um, give us your, give us your best Harry Redknapp story if you've got one. Everybody seems to have one. <laughs> There's a thousand. Uh, <laughs> but there was there was a good one. There was a good one. And probably everyone knows this one, but he's doing an interview, I think, on a Thursday or Friday and we're either playing at home or travelling. I, I can't remember exactly what the situation was, but he's talking to the camera and he's probably in maybe, you know, probably 10 or 15 yards from the corner flag. So you imagine that's the byline, corner flag, goals, and he's in, say, roughly around the 18 yard, where the 18-yard box meets the byline because they're filming and, I don't know, they want to get whatever in the background. And some boys have been, uh, you know, still having some shots after 
after training as they do. And um, a ball comes over and it hits Harry in the back of the head. <laughs> it's still on YouTube, I think, this clip. <laughs> yeah. It probably would be. Yeah. And so he's kind of like, he's gone, he's gone. A few, de- few uh, choice words. And, um, but he can't get it out of his head. So he can't let it go. No, he can't. So he's going back. He's, he, what was the question again? And he's talking and he's like, who the fuck was that? The young boys, eh? Young boys are shitting themselves. They're so nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was me. And he goes, fucking hell. Anyway, keeps talking, tries to answer the question. He can't. Turns around, he goes, no wonder you're in the fucking reserves. <laughs> <laughs> you can still find that clip on YouTube. Uh, it is absolute gold. gold. Oh, um, from there, Foxy, you went on to Leeds um, yeah. and you played a little bit in the Premier League, but injuries had sort of started to take their toll. You'd had an operation, I think, back in Australia to try and get yourself uh, right for English football again. But it, did, it seemed as though your body wasn't quite right at, at, by that point. Is that fair? Yeah, no, my body was good. Just my feet were fucked. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's an interesting one, Foxy, because it's such a rare injury that you had that people actually don't know. Like, explain explain to to the listeners what it actually was. Yeah, so it had nothing to do with challenging or anything. It was was actually a loading issue. So, you know, it's like the doctor explained it to me. It's like you get a bit of wire... You get a bit of wire and you keep going like that with the wire and eventually after you know a thousand a thousand wobbles the wire is going to break so that's what it was it was my navicular bone in both of my feet and you know football is all about short movements jumping explosiveness so every time i'm jumping and trying to move um my bone was not not taking the load and eventually it would not snap, but I'd just get stress fractures through it. So um, I'd, I'd, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd miss three or four months or five months and then I'd come back, I'd start rehab, train, 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 get through that rehab part and then boom, same thing because now it's like the wire, it's just gradually, gradually getting hotter, hotter, hotter and then finally it, it, it gives. So it wasn't until I got to, um, well, funny enough, when I was at Portsmouth, I didn't play a game. I didn't train for two and a half years. It's like nothing. So I kept trying, I get, get, get back to a stage and then boom. So uh, I found out that James Hurd from Essendon had the same injury. So um, we made some phone calls and we found out you know, how he came back from his injury and what he had to do. So um, we rang the Essendon Football Club, the SNC, the guy called John Quinn. Spoke to him um, and uh, asked about, you know, the rehab and what, what he had to go through and the best way of trying to get over this injury. Um, so he, he kind of asked, could you send him through a program? And he said to me, well, I can send it through a program, no problem. But what I can do is, if you're prepared, how about you come to Australia for 
six months, eight months, and um, I'll, you can work with us at the Essendon Football Club. So, wow. was, yeah, very, very fortunate. So I went down to Melbourne and trained with Essendon Football Club for, for 12 months. And he, he showed me how um, I, could still, I could still play and how I could still train um, a certain program, you know, in, in terms of the loading. And that, was, that enabled me to play another probably three or four years. So Essendon <coughs> sort of saved your, your career in some ways. Yeah, sorry, Simon, with that, Foxy, you must have been hugely relieved, right? Because as a player, you go through and you get injuries, you come back, um, but there, there are some injuries and the injury that you touch on here where sometimes maybe the medical department at your particular football club at the time doesn't have the information. Absolutely. They aren't giving you the answers, therefore the confidence and the ability for you to get back as a player. Absolutely. Going back to Essendon, knowing that you can come back and play and there's a clear program, Mate, I can guarantee you, because I had a similar situation, how much clearer in your head did you become then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and uh, then I, I really understood the injury. Because like anything, so where we're based in the UK, and not, I'm not, not saying that the, the physios and the medical department weren't good. They, they had just hadn't come across this type of injury um, and didn't understand it. So I went from, you know, um, have an injury, yeah, stretch, stress fracture, okay. Crutches, six weeks, moon boot, three or four weeks, and then bang, into training. Well, that was the worst possible thing you could do. Worst possible thing for that injury. So it's not until now, and because I went through that, that phase for two and a half years, I'd lost total trust in the medical department. Because yeah, I'm you, do. you know, that, you know they're, they're telling me something to do. I'm doing what I'm doing, but I'm feeling this. It's ridiculous. So... So until I went and saw John Quinn, and this is the importance of having good medical staff and having trust. Then now everything now is free flowing and you can now you're enabled to now move and, and, and play with confidence. So I was very fortunate. It was, a, it was a great learning curve, not only for the injury, but to see how another sport, in particular AFL, how they work, you know, and how they work how they run and how they do their processes and how they work as an organisation. Um, it, it was fantastic. Plus, at that time, uh, you guys were getting in, you guys were doing the, um, were qualifying for the World Cup in 2005. So, it was, it was just, it was unreal. They were going off. You got no idea that AFL players and Essendon Football Club, um, how much they love football and how much they admired uh, the Socceroos. They, 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 they loved them. They were behind them. They, you know, really respected where everyone was playing and what they were doing in their sport. Um, so it was, a, it was a real big eye-opener. And their culture. I know, you know, football has a slightly different culture. Okay, we understand that. It's different banter, um, dealing with different egos. Um, but AFL have a real culture... Um, where there's a, a lot of accountability, a lot of accountability within the group. Um, mm. There's a lot of, lot of positives and, and, and pluses that I took from, from uh, that rehab stint in Essendon that I could take then into the latter part of my, latter part of my career. That uh, sort of leads us quite nicely, Foxy, into talking about uh, your international career. You, you made your soccer debut under Raul Blanco in 1998, you were a part of that golden generation, but 
you missed out on the big prize of, of going to the World Cup in 2006 and all the euphoria that you just uh, described that sort of enveloped the country. Is, is that something that you, that, let's put it this way, is that the biggest disappointment of your career, that you weren't no. able to be a part of that? Not at all, not at all, because no. at that period in time, I was just trying to find a way to try and play football again. Yep. Yeah. Wherever that was going to be, I didn't care where it was going to be. Could I just now get out and 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 continue my career and, and, and play professional football? So that was my major major focus during that period. Um, you know, I, I I can't ever regret that I I wasn't involved in the the World Cup because you know there's a lot of great great players and there was you know a history making uh, event on that night in 2005, which was. Yeah, I think all Australians, not just footballing fans, were, were so proud of, you know. You'd have had to get past Craig Moore to get in that team anyway, wouldn't you? <laughs> the neck, how about the neck? Somehow. somehow. <laughs> Seriously, he gets this high and then his neck goes another. <laughs> because he used to, it, back then you're allowed to head the ball, you see? Yeah. That's I was going to say, Foxy, it was an art to be able to head the ball and timing to head the ball. Absolutely. That's Pro- right. Probably won't be able to head the ball for much longer. Um, let, let's just have one more football question before we uh, we round off with a couple of Twitter questions from our listeners. Yeah. Um, you, you did. You came back home with, with Perth in 2007, and then yeah. you had that season in a bit with Sydney FC, which is like you, a bit of your Indian summer to your career, and, and oh, you end yeah. up winning a championship medal. Now, I, I, I obviously call that game, and I remember you gallivanting around the pitch. I don't think I've ever seen a footballer so happy to win a major trophy. I mean, you're always happy when you win trophies, but you were like beside yourself with glee that day. Yeah, of course. When you when you get a chance to win a championship or, or you know, uh, have some type of recognition to, to, to win something, because in the end, that's that's what you want. You want to win mm. things. It's yeah. normal. So you, you can't take that... Comp- you have to have that competitive spirit. You have to want to win things. If you don't win things, then, you know, you, you've got to kind of really look at yourself and... and see the reasons why you're playing um and you know it's i'm going off off a little bit off the track but winning winning is just not as important but it's an important component of why we want to play the game Hmm. it's like you want to do a mass test you want to do a mass test you want to try and be the best you can you want to try and get 80 90 95 percent you want to try and be the best you can in that class so why? Yeah, all right. All right, Foxy. That's a bit high, that mark. <laughs> it's a point well made, though, Aiden. Um, yeah. Look, let, let's, let's finish off with a couple of uh, Twitter questions. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, you've, you've been involved in coaching as an assistant with the Hearts and the Wanderers um, and then with Perth. Now, Stefan asks, what happened at Glory? Did you get offered the manager's job post Tony Popovich? And did you reject it or was it your choice to leave? What what happened? Okay. So really, so I get offered the job to take over from Tony Popovich and I say no. <laughs> I'm just reading the question, Foxy. <laughs> no, unfortunately, they, um, yeah, unfortunately they, the, the club wanted to go in a new direction or a different direction, which is, which is fine, which is part of football. Um, and so there wasn't a, a place for me in the coaching staff. So it was time for me to step aside and 
Um, it wasn't my choice to step aside, but I totally understand that um, the direction the club want to go in, it's a different direction and that's, that's where I am now at the moment. Uh, presume, presumably you'd like to get back into, into coaching at A-League level. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Okay. Um, this one from Paul McColl, which is our question of the week. I've chosen it because it's a bit out there. Uh, $100 Outback uh, Steakhouse voucher coming to you, Paul. Uh, what is the most embarrassing stroke bizarre training drill you've ever been involved in? <laughs> <laughs> Have you got anything for us? There's probably a couple. There's a few, let me tell you. Right. <laughs> they can come for mine. Um, One will do. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember one time, I'll, I'll give you one. It's a very clean version. So this one's not a bad one. So we're at Portsmouth. We're doing pre-season. Um, Harry uh, was the manager. Jim Smith, the late Jim Smith, top bloke by the way, top bloke, old school, good bloke, loved the change room and loved the banner and just loved everything about football. But So we're doing pre-season, first three days, for, you don't even touch the balls, zero. Like, you got to get your boots, they go, no, no, no boots, just put your trainers on. All right, trainers on. So we get, so that must, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning comes and we're like, surely, and you're, everyone's always asking the physios, you see? They're always asking, <laughs> what's, what's going on? You know, or the S&C, what's, what's on? And they don't give nothing out. So they, um, we, um, he goes, yeah, yeah, you'll be getting your boots on today. We're like, oh, wow. And then we go out, we walk out of the change rooms and we look over the other side of the pitch and the balls are out. We're like, oh, wow, finally, they're getting the balls. <laughs> we go over to the balls we're like, right, we're all playing with the book, you know, like we're playing a bit of, you know, a bit of Sheva, a bit of circle. Jim comes out, blows his whistle and goes, blows it and goes, what are you doing? We're like, well, we're getting the balls out. He goes, they're not for you to kick. Grab a ball, put it in your arm. You're running for the whole session, but the ball must stay in the arm. <laughs> So we ran around the whole, the whole, the whole uh, morning with a ball in the hand. Now you try and do 80 meter runs, you know, 200 meter runs, 400 meter runs with a ball in your hand. It's like you're running. At <laughs> least <laughs> you got to hug the ball. Yeah, um, that was about it. that's a, that's a good answer. Uh, this we'll, we'll finish off with this one. Uh, this is from Arto Harkinen. Um, Arto says you've been a part of both Sydney clubs. What do you think are the fundamental differences between them? And do you consider yourself more red and black than sky blue? Or do you keep your emotions out of it? It's a good question, actually. Yeah. Oh, look. Um, yeah, look, Sydney had been established uh, a lot lot earlier than Western Sydney. Um, so they, they had a bit of, quite a bit of history in the Sydney side. But, you know, what Tony Popovich and John Tatsimus... Um, uh, had uh, had developed at Western Sydney is, is quite phenomenal, really. Uh, they really they really um, they really created a football club for the community. They really created a football club for that community for for people to 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 follow and to dream about. 
Um, and it'll, be, it'll take a long time, as you can see, even where Western Sydney are now for the last four years, to try and build that again um, and, and trying to get the success they had. Success to try and win the Asian Champions League on that budget with them players uh, is quite phenomenal. Um, I, I, I don't have a preference, I'll be honest. I don't have a preference um, because both clubs provide something different um, and have a, um, definitely a different outlook and a different community following. Both, both uh, you know, very well represented. Um, I, I, I'd just really like to see Western Sydney get back to, to where they are. Um, I think Steve Corrick has done an unbelievable job to be able to take what Graham Arnold had built there and continue that. That's not an easy role um, and put his own little spin on it. I think he, he's done a great job um, with that Sydney Sydney club. It's a terrific answer. Um, <clears throat> Spider, you get the final word as you always do with your weekly question. Foxy, come on. Tell us the best stadium you've played at and the biggest dungeon you've played at. Oh, mate. Okay, I'll start with the dungeon. The dungeon we played when I first joined Portsmouth, we were in the championship, and we went up to Grimsby Town. Oh, mate, they, they get a mention all the time. What a Grimsby they, Town. They, but this story is the best. So we go to Grimsby Town. It's in August. So we played them like in the, the third round. And it was freezing, like freezing. <laughs> but on, the, on the way up there, right? So all the players are going, oh, I can't wait to the fish and chips on the way home. Oh, they got <laughs> it's unbelievable. I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm thinking this is going to be good. I'm looking, at, looking forward to having the fish and chips. We win. We win 1-0 up in Grisby where the, the field goes, is sloped down and it's windy and blowing gale and people yelling abuse at you. Anyway, come out there, get on the bus. I'm thinking, right, fish and chips, this is going to be nice. They've been talking about it all the way up there. You get there, so it comes in a box, wrapped in newspaper, handed to you like that. There you go. You unwrap it and you look at it and the wrapping is just wet of oil, like, like oil. <laughs> Like, that's pro that's proper fish and chips, Foxy. You got no class, mate. This is your oven. Take a bite. There's about that thick of batter, and there's seriously, there must be maybe a skin of fish in there. <laughs> oh, good. You got, you got no culture, Foxy. The, one of the best memorable games. It might not be the best stadium, but one of the top stadiums. Because you know, when you when you play abroad, you play in a lot of top top stadiums for different reasons. But the MCG, when it's full of Australian supporters, it's, it's very hard to go go past. You know, you got a hundred thousand or ninety eight thousand there. It's tiered up. You look up. There's four or five levels, and uh, that certainly de definitely does still make your hair raise on the back of your neck. Foxy, we could probably talk for about four hours, but uh, <clears throat> we are going to have to leave it there. Um, brilliant to share some of those memories. Um, hopefully, we will see you back in the A-League very soon in the coaching ranks. But uh, Thanks, we really, really, really thank you for joining us on the podcast this I enjoyed week. that. It was really good. Thank you. Great fun. That is uh, Aidan Fox, and that's us for another week. And we'll see you next week on Shim Spider and so much more. Bye for now.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.